0: Hear that? That's the sound of your car's NCT getting closer. But this year, why not rely on an Avantcard loan rather than luck? If it's time to upgrade your car to something newer, it's time you contacted Avantcard. AventCard offers loans from 5000 to €75,000, approval in principle in minutes, and personalised pricing made for you.
1: Find out more at AventCard.ie. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. Avantcard DAC Trading's Avantcard is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.
0: Welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined, as always, by Matt Williamson. Matt, how's it going today? It's going great,
1: man. It's going great. It's coming to an end of a busy week, kind of a little bit of time in between now and kickoff after we're done here to relax a little, but uh, can't beat it. Like I said, I'm not running around with three-year-olds all day like you were.
0: (laughs) We've got week (laughs) one in our rearview mirror. We've actually started week two now at the time we're recording uh, and and you know it's just a great time to be a football fan and a fantasy football player. We have an awesome guest today, Matt. We've got Joe Holka. He is a writer for Four for Four. He's also doing some work for Fantasy Labs and Roster Coach. Joe, how are you doing, man?
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm a big fan of what you guys have been doing with this podcast, and it's uh, definitely one of my favorite listens every week. So excited to be here. Oh, cool.
0: good to yeah. have you, man. That's that's good to hear. Joe, I'm really familiar with four for four. That's that's pretty much my go to resource when it comes to uh, weekly rankings and anything redraft. I I love the work that that those guys, John and Josh and everybody else puts out over there. I don't know as much about roster coach. I know that's a new thing. Uh, We had TJ on last week and that's one of his his new projects. So just tell us a little bit about roster coach in general and, and your role over there.
2: Yeah, roster coach is basically the brainchild of TJ Hernandez, and it's essentially a first the first video classroom-style DFS education site, where you're, you're basically looking over the shoulder of TJ, myself, or some of the other great guys we have, and learning about our process and how we do our research every week. And honestly, I'm, I'm just super excited about the possibilities there. I think it's something that DFS players of all skill levels can really benefit from, and we actually just opened up our one-on-one coaching. So you can sit down with myself or Chris Rabon or TJ Hernandez and really pick our brains in the upcoming week or anything DFS related for that matter. So it's going to be a great project and really happy to be a part of it.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a very cool, a uh, very cool idea. And, and, you know, just always glad to see new things taking off in the industry. That's, that's obviously a, a new idea that TJ came up with. So yeah, it'll be neat to follow where where that goes from here, since you guys are just getting started. So, Joe, you and I, I, I wanted to talk about this a little bit. You and I just, actually right before the season started, finished up this brand-new Dynasty draft. I said all offseason that I was not going to join any new Dynasty <laughs> leagues. It never works that way. I think I joined five or six new ones this offseason. When, when Mike Tagliere came calling, and he had some great names, yours included already, Involved in this league. I couldn't turn it down. So uh, we're both in the lights out dynasty draft or dynasty league that that Mike started and I was looking over your team a little bit closer today and it really looks like a team I would draft for the most part. You started with DeAndre Hopkins. You got my favorite player Randall Cobb. Uh, You really went wide receiver heavy. We're going to talk a lot today about running backs and, and some of your work with with that position. But looking at this dynasty draft you did, it looks like you're you're a fan of the wide receivers early like uh, like Matt and myself.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was kind of in the same boat actually with trying not to add much volume to uh, my season long teams this year, but then Mike came to me with this league and it was kind of something I couldn't pass up, but as far as my basic strategy for this league, it was wasn't necessarily to set myself up to win this year, more more long term which isn't completely uh outside the norm norm obviously but I went wide receiver heavy to start but overall in the middle rounds what I was trying to do was kind of corner the market on tight ends and focus on acquiring trade value first while everyone was kind of scooping up mid-range wide receiver value so in the 14 team league I think there's a ton of value in just acquiring the best trade assets in those middle rounds and the way things fell in this draft I ended up getting quite a few tight ends that I really liked and hopefully that helps me make a few deals and as far as that running back, I just wanted to make sure that I got Charles Sims and Spencer Ware. I didn't really care who else I got outside of those two guys, at least for the first year. So late, I basically just loaded up on some reception, perception favorites. Since at the wide receiver position, I tend to just defer to what Matt Harmon says anyway.
1: So, Joe, is the order it's listed here? Is that the way you picked it? You know, Nuke, Cobb, White? I believe so. I mean, my only question, and, and here's, here's for our, our listening audience. It went Nuke, Cobb, White dgb which that one raised a question for me i mean i haven't done a, a, a startup draft in a long time is that what he's going at nowadays i guess that's a question for you and ryan is that the going rate for green beckham still
2: yeah green beckham that was a pick that happened before the trade so i wasn't necessarily oh, okay extremely, okay. extremely excited about where i got him after the fact but at the time i still liked his upside and still saw him i mean earlier in the offseason he was a pretty hot commodity in dynasty league so i think that was a pretty good value at the time at least to get him there
1: and then you went kelsey sneed whose stock has to be through the roof now eifert sims julius thomas so three of their next what five picks were tight ends like you mentioned and then where and i guess this is a question for you ryan is where going through the roof as well
0: you know he's a guy i really want to get into uh, later because i know yeah. is, he is a favorite of joe's his dynasty value is, he's so hard to figure because, you know, he put up numbers last year when he got a chance with the Charles injury and, and the Hendrick West injury. He's doing it again this year through, through the preseason and through one week, but I don't see people paying up, you know, paying big, big prices for him in trades. His September ADP was, I believe 120. So that's still, uh, you know, that's still very reasonable and you could, Easily call him undervalued at that number. And of course, that that was obviously uh, pre-week one, and maybe even I believe it was even before we we heard the latest Charles news as far as he would not be ready for week one, etc. So he's certainly gaining value. I haven't seen anybody giving a first-round rookie pick for him though. I haven't seen that.
1: See, I I mentioned this because I just made a move like two days ago, and I don't know if you guys caught it on Twitter. Probably not. I mean, but I know we're going a little off script. But what I Gave up. I gave up Demarius Thomas, basically for Zach Ertz, Ware, and two future thirds. And of course, Twitter called me the biggest idiot in the world.
2: Well, I'm definitely not gonna be against any trade where you get Spencer Ware if you've been following along with anything I've done in the yeah. offseason. But I, I definitely reached on him a bit in our draft, especially at the time. But I just wanted to make sure I got him. So I don't. I don't mind that trade for you, honestly. Demarius Thomas is a guy that I've been trying to unload since last year. Without too much uh, of a return, basically. But yeah, I don't. I don't mind. I like the Ertz deal for you as well. He's another guy that I'm trying to scoop up anywhere I can. Most. Nice.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's an easy trade to criticize, I guess. You know, uh, even Earth started well last week. He's. I guess he's got this injury now that it
1: doesn't look like he's gonna play this week.
0: Yeah, it leaves him up in the air for the next few weeks at least, or next couple of weeks. Wears off to the hot start. It's an easy trade to criticize until you're in a league where you're trying to unload Damaris Thomas, like Joe said. It's been brutal. Uh, right? yeah. I'm trying to get rid of him for a year. If you're set on moving him, you're not You're not getting much more than that. I don't think you can get a first-rounder straight up for him right now. No. Which you know, might sound crazy to some people. but.
1: And, and Chad Parsons wrote me a private message. He's like, boy, that's a strange deal. I'm not sure I would have done that. He's like, how much do you value Spencer Ware? And I said, well – I would sell him for a random 17 first right now and I would gladly buy him for a 17 second right now. So in between there.
2: I think that's a really good range for him actually. Yeah. Well, we'll just, we'll throw out my team
0: really quickly in the same league, Joe. Uh, it, and oh, on one side note, you started, it's a double header league. So you started two and O uh, last week through one week. I started one and one. I really veered from my normal plan. I actually took, Matt, you'll be shocked. I took a running, a running back. back. I, I took a running back in the first round. I took Ezekiel Elliott in the first round. One. It was my last, as I mentioned earlier. It was our last dynasty draft of the off season. I had no Elliott shares, so I probably let that influence me a little more than it should have. But what I took, number in round one was that? Uh, I think it was eight, maybe. Okay, I, mean, I guess I can get behind that. Uh, so I took Ezekiel Elliott, Dante Moncrief in the second. Then I went Tyler Lockett. I went early quarterback, which, again, is not something I normally do. But the, the 14 teams, as Joe mentioned, kind of influenced that a little bit. Uh, I took Russell Wilson in the fourth, and then I just hammered some veterans, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, Marvin Jones, Greg Olson. Pretty happy with, with those choices. And then CJ Proseis next. So um, kind, kind of a mixed bag uh, with some veterans and some youth. Uh, a lot of Seahawks. Yeah, that was, that was not necessarily not planned, intentional, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not intentional, but just thought I would mix it up a little bit and uh, we'll see. We'll see how that works out for me. But Joe, why, the reason we really got you here, you've got this fairly new project that you're doing. I'm really excited about it. I've been impressed with, with your work. You mentioned Matt Harmon's reception perception. I know your work has been compared to that and, and you've mentioned yourself that you kind of tailored it after that, uh, after his work a little bit. Tell us what we need to know about rushing expectation.
2: Yeah, first off, that's a huge compliment to be mentioned with the reception perception process. Um, Matt Harmon's been pretty influential in everything I've done to kind of develop this. Obviously, it's not a, a finished product. We can might make sense to talk about just a few of the kind of key terms before I jump into what the methodology is all about. Uh, it's kind of based around my signature metric, which called is called expected success rate and success rate basically is a football outsider stat that some people are probably familiar with but it's it's a little bit more I I wouldn't want to say predictive but I like it a little bit more than the yards per carry metric just because that can be so skewed heavily by big plays success rate is basically um, based on down a distance and the percentage of those yards that they get so 40% of the yards on first down 60 on second, a hundred on third or fourth down. And then it's altered a bit if the team is ahead or behind in the fourth quarter. So if it's a successful play, that is so expected success rate is the signature metric of rushing expectation. And it highlights the fact basically that not every success rate is created equal because offensive lines have such a direct correlation with running back success. So we know there's a huge difference between offensive lines throughout the league and, this is my attempt to separate those two very important factors, and yeah, hopefully identify some breakout players along the way. But in the simplest way possible, expected success rate is an adjusted form of success rate that takes into account offensive lines. So the methodology itself, like you said, would most closely mirror what Matt Harmon does with wide receivers and reception perception, but for running backs. So I dig deep into efficiency through different running lanes and different areas of the field in the passing game, but I also chart things like before and after contact and the difference between player success rates versus base defensive sets and loaded boxes. But in essence, it's my attempt to find the perfect balance kind of between metrics and film evaluation, which I think is something that's really important when evaluating players. And I got through 20 players in my initial sample, and obviously things are going to evolve over time. But I think it was a decent start.
1: Two questions for you. How do you you said you you account for offensive lines? I mean, obviously, Ezekiel Elliott has a better offensive line than Todd Gurley. I, can you expand on that? You know, how do you actually account for it? And then in the off season, are you plan on taking this to the college level at all? Or are you going to do Nick Chubb and those kind of guys, or what's your plans?
2: Sure. Well, I'll explain how the expected success rate really kind of works anyway with the offensive lines. I basically use play by play data that goes all the way back uh, the past twenty seasons in the NFL and created a, a model that spits out team success rates so that I know success rates for each team for their offensive lines. And then from there, I used another football outsider stat called adjusted line yards, yep. which also kind of uh, separates offensive lines from running back play as well. So I did just a simple linear regression with the adjusted line yards and with the team success rates that gives me a formula after over that 20-year sample of basically – what adjusted line yard ranking would mean for a team's expected success rate. So then I can go in and chart the player's success rate and then kind of compare them to what their expected would be.
0: So, Joe, you said you you went back uh, looking at play-by-play information for – I think it was back to the year 2000? Yep. So what – that just sounds like a painstaking process. There, bus. I'm assuming there's some way to gather that data uh, that's yeah. easier than what's coming to my mind.
2: There's a lot of you can get pretty weird with Excel. Let's just say that, and uh, <laughs> you can uh, do some stuff. That it, it was a kind of a painstaking process, but it, it that part of it actually wasn't as bad as it probably sounds.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's good to hear. So, Joe, just like I would say, just like Matt Harmon has become you know, synonymous with the wide receiver position. I think the same thing is happening with you and running backs. So I was just curious, how did you, how did you become interested specifically in that position? Did you see a gap in the, uh, I guess, in the coverage in the fantasy football community of running backs or, or just how did you land on this project in general?
2: Yeah, well, first off, I wanted to do something that was unique, kind of narrow my focus a little bit in the industry and I think I've accomplished that. I've I've always had been fascinated with the running back position, especially. And I couldn't really get past how heavily people were weighing season long and even game by game stats and their analysis when every single running back is running behind a different offensive line situation. So that was kind of the uh how I started to kind of even look into it to see if there was a big difference and see how efficient some players were behind. Uh, offensive lines that maybe weren't as strong and kind of where that whole correlation begins and ends.
0: I feel like in, at least in dynasty leagues, you know, for, for several years now, running backs have just been, you know, the redheaded stepchildren and nobody wants running backs in, in dynasty leagues. Nobody is taking running backs early, uh, I guess, evidently, except for me in this, this recent league, but you know, for the most part, there's, three or four running backs in the top 30 players that is, that is now dominated by wide receivers. I do think though, with some of these names that we're seeing, we're starting to see a little bit of a turn. You know, Gurley was the first pick in most drafts last year. Um, Same thing with Ezekiel Elliott this year. We saw the David Johnson breakout, which you've, you've covered that. I think he was actually the first player you covered in the series. And, And of course this, class of 2017 that looks like it's going to produce multiple impact running backs so are you seeing are you starting to see as you cover running backs in general as you interact with with the community are you seeing a shift back towards the running back position at all
2: i think so Uh, before i get into that matt i forgot to answer your last question as far as doing college prospects it is something Uh, i would like to do um it's the problem is just finding the film for those games i think uh that's that's the biggest issue I see, and then I would have to re- completely redo my model, obviously. But it's something I'm definitely considering. I think it would be a really cool thing to do. I know Graham Barfield does did a lot of great work on uh, on rookies coming in from this class, so that's definitely another uh, thing that you should definitely check out. As far as uh and running. one last
1: thing on that, I'm sorry to interrupt, but obviously figuring out the offensive line situation at that level would be really difficult.
2: It would be. I think there would definitely be a lot more variance involved too. Besides just like the smaller schools and then like the Alabama's, it'd be a lot different, I think, than comparing the worst and the best from the NFL. But uh, yeah, as far as what the community is like right now, I, I think there's definitely value to an approach, like you said, uh, going after some of those those high-end running backs, especially in drafts that are right now in startups. There's sometimes your strategy could and should definitely change depending on how the draft is going. There just comes a point where, those guys fall so far. You do have to remain flexible. I think that's the thing that I've learned the most. And in and in some of these startups that I've done, like it, it is obviously great to go into it with that wide receiver heavy uh, plan. But if it does get to a point where someone drops way past where they should, just because that's where everyone is going, it, there is definitely value in kind of zigging where everyone else is zagging.
0: So through this process, and, and as you mentioned, you've covered twenty players so far. I just wondered, what are some things in, in general that you've learned? And you've already mentioned quite a bit the um, importance of the offensive line and a running back situation uh, on his team. That was really one of my big takeaways as as I've read some of your work. So talk a little bit about that and, and just anything else that's that stood out for you.
2: Yeah, I think offensive lines definitely play a role, especially when looking at some of the more average talents in the NFL. I, I think there's definitely talents that can exceed or succeed throughout their situation, even if they have a not as good of a offensive line in front of them. But I think volume and opportunity are always going to be king at running back. The the value in my process and finding these players that can overcome poor situations and and also players that underperform in good situations is that those players are more likely to hold their jobs longer, I think, and for dynasty purposes or players that could be on the verge of taking jobs over as well so I think that was kind of my overall plan and overall hope that going over some of these players would at least shed a little bit of light on for for dynasty purposes season long and and even like the narrow focus of like a DFS player as well so I know Spencer Ware was the guy I was after pretty much the whole off season and getting to play him in DFS last week was a pretty rewarding experience.
1: We've talked about Ware twice now. I mean, let's jump ahead. Just give us what. Give us your whole scouting report on Ware.
2: Yeah, Spencer Ware. I mean, he was a guy that I direct messaged Matt Harmon on Twitter at two in the morning after I finished charting him. He it just completely demolished all these other players that I'd gone through at the time, and his overall expected success rate with the Chiefs was forty six point five percent, which was the fifth highest expectation in the league, and. We're actually performed above expectation by 12% in the run game and this put him number 2 overall of my entire uh, 20 player sample and his athletic ability is is very good obviously but his hard running style and his short area quickness is is rare he d- displays quick feet low pad level his, his second effort was was fantastic rare balance all, all of these components are just the an excellent short yardage runner Just there are things that he they, he has that uh, he's one of the best runners I've seen working through contact his pad level maybe one of his strongest attributes and I think his elite balance through arm tackles is something that's was pretty unique compared to a lot of the players I looked at and where it was consistently kind of looking to punish anyone that came near him and he's he just a great guy to watch and he's a player that's going to put everything he has into every play and his ridiculous efficient efficiency numbers were largely against uh eight in the box which I, was kind of interesting to me he did so on 36 percent of his run plays that I charted and overall his numbers probably could have been even better because against base, base sets his success rate was 65.4 percent which absolutely demolishes every other player I've charted and that's nearly twenty percent above his Chiefs expectation. So, where's floor in two thousand sixteen? Even before this week one happened, I, I I felt that his floor was the significant short yardage and goal line work, even with Jamal Charles there. And I think he has standalone value. And even when Charles comes back, and he's a versatile runner that is more than proved he can be the feature back if called called upon. And I charted chart Kendrick West as well. And He's not even in the same stratosphere as Spencer Ware, in my opinion.
1: I know a lot of people this week are saying, wow, Weston Ware played the same amount of snaps, give or take, last week. They they value them the same. They have the same contracts. You're right. I mean, they're not even close. (laughs) I mean, like, I don't think that's any sort of argument whatsoever. And I think people forget, too, that he was drafted in 2013 by the Seahawks. I'm not sure everybody even knows his history. He was a six-round pick. That's the same year they took Kristen Michael in the second round, and that's when Marshawn Lynch was in the height of his powers too. So that's a rough situation to walk into the league. It's not like he's just a Joe Blow retread
2: guy. Yeah, that's something I talked about with Matt Waldman, also another guy that's been on Spencer Ware for a really long time. He was the one that actually uh, told me to chart him and Spencer Ware and, uh, sorry, chart Kendrick West together and compare them just because this is kind of what he's been saying about this backfield for quite a long time.
0: Yeah, I, I remember Matt being a big fan of of where when he came out, and you know, a, a lot of dynasty guys just kind of laughed that off. And you know, he's a late round pick, and he's he, you know, like Matt said, he's behind Lynch, he's behind Michael, and nobody really gave him a chance. And you know, sometimes on these guys, it takes two or three years. We're seeing that even with a guy like Quincy Anunwa, you know, for the Jets, off to a hot start. Different position, obviously, but. You know, not every young player is going to enter the league and make an impact.
1: You know what makes an impact for you? I
0: Glad think not. you
1: know, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Loot Crate. Loot Crate makes an impact for you. If you're looking for gear, collectibles, houseware, and more from your favorite pop culture franchises, they've got you covered. Loot Crate offers a range of geek and gamer items for less than 20 bucks a month. And if you use our promo code, you get an even better deal. Want to bring the, the loot for the next level? Get a bigger box with even bigger loot with Loot Crate DX. That's my size. If you're more of a type to wear your geeky heart on your sleeve, then Loot Wear, our, mo- our monthly wearables and accessory subscription, is exactly what you're looking for. Get ready for September's high-octane theme, Speed. This month's loot crate has a high octane assortment of goodies from Batman, CW's The Flash and Arrow, Battlestar Galactica, Iron Man, Iron Man, Gone in 60 Seconds. If you have a style need, you'll love our Speed Lootwear collection featuring Sonic socks for when you gotta go fast, a Transformers wearable for when your world saving needs, a winning Mario Kart tee, and more. This Lootweight collection is gonna zoom away quick. You have until the 19th at 9 p.m. to subscribe. Make sure you use the head to lootcrate.com/slash/dynasty blueprint and enter the code dynasty blueprint, and you'll save a couple more bucks off your new subscription. That's already under twenty bucks a month. What a deal!
0: So, Joe, you've you've talked a lot about where, and it sounds like as you charted him, your you know your evaluation of him just as a dynasty player changed quite a bit. Are there any other players in either direction, good or bad, where after Going through this rushing expectation process, that you found yourself really having a change of a change of heart about.
2: Yeah, I think it probably goes without saying, since my process is largely efficiency based, that I wasn't a big fan of Jeremy Langford or uh, sorry with the uh, or Murray Latavius Murray as well. Those were two guys that performed extremely poorly. But some guys that I really liked uh, as well as Spencer Ware. Amir Abdullah, Charles Sims, Ryan Matthews, and Thomas Rawls. Those are all guys that were performing well above their expectation considering their offensive line. And I think that those guys are guys that could either take over jobs in in Charles Sims' case, Amir Abdullah's case, or keep their jobs in Ryan Matthews' case. And Thomas Rawls is a guy that I'm still not giving up on. I know there's a lot of Chris and Michael talk right now, but I still believe that Thomas Rawls is a better player. And I think that eventually he is going to get back to form. Hopefully his, his health can come back because I'd really like to kind of see what he could do this year in that offense.
0: One thing I love about the, about this project is just these charts that you've developed. Um, And, and I would say the same about, about Harmon's reception perception. I think even without the written content, there's plenty of takeaways just to see these charts that, that you've incorporated. So Talk a little bit about that. If we're just scanning through your work, we're just looking at at the different charts you've created, what can readers take away from that?
2: Yeah, there's just so many numbers involved, honestly, probably even a few more than reception perception. So trying to convey that to the average person or even someone that's really involved in fantasy is a difficult process. So I, I had to come up with some charts that were clean enough that the data makes sense and I think that the overall results, these charts kind of do a decent job of comparing the differences. And I think there's value in comparing the results of a player versus what it was expected on his team versus the NFL sample, or sometimes even just the results jump off the page a bit more. If you can kind of visualize what lanes these are going through and kind of what the average is. And you you just take a look at some of these charts and some players just absolutely jump off the page and some that you think might don't jump off as much. So I, I think the charts are a big uh, part of these pieces I've been writing and a lot of people aren't going to sit down and read 2000 words on Melvin Gordon, but they might <laughs> take five minutes and look at uh, a couple of charts that I've drawn up.
0: I've noticed, uh, and one thing that jumped out to me in looking over some of the, some of your pieces, uh, David Johnson is one and there were a couple of others. These guys get labeled as, as good pass catching backs and then the assumption almost becomes that they can't run between the tackles. If I'm remembering correctly, that was one of David Johnson's most successful lanes, I guess, to run through was basically straight up the middle. Um, so is that something that you see that, you know, pass catching backs like Sims or, or, or Johnson just get, I don't know, almost almost treated as if they can't run the ball successfully?
2: Yeah, that's something that's kind of, interesting to look at for some of these players because some of them are are running a lot of they're bouncing a lot of their runs outside and there's guys that Ryan Matthews takes a lot of his runs to the left or the right end same thing with Amir Abdullah but you kind of just like you said these these pass catching running backs you just assume that they don't take the ball between tackles and through the middle very often but David Johnson was the one that was extremely successful doing that which is something you look for out of a bell cow running back I think that he can play in every situation and his overall success rate was 10.2 percent in the run game above expectations. so that's something that jumps out right away and, and he was above in the passing game as well so he was in the top half of my initial sample and he obviously is a former wide receiver so his ability to adjust the passes was was unique and he lined up out wide, actually, on 34% of his targets, which I thought was interesting. And that was the third largest of my 20 players. And he is a very good combination kind of strength paired with, obviously, rare bursts and ability to break tackles. So he's just a dynamic player to watch, and I really enjoyed charting him. And I just don't see a scenario where Chris Johnson sends David Johnson to the bench. I, get, I know some people were talking about that early in the offseason, but and his first season in the NFL was a supreme success, in my opinion, and led the NFL in yards from scrimmage from week 13 on. As a natural pass catcher, he just—I think—he has the talent to be the lead back in this offense for quite a long time.
1: Joe, I want your opinion on TJ Yeldon. He's a guy that we talk about a lot on here since we started the show. I'm a big, big fan. Didn't do a lot in week one. I think he bounces back heavy. I think he's a much more fluid, stronger runner than people realize, better receiver. Curious what you think.
2: Yeah, I, I liked Yeldon. He was a guy that was above average of my twenty players. And you mentioned he he's has kind of a unique running style. He's kind of a short stride, but really savvy, like smart football player, and his his mental processing skills were just rare and I, I liked what he did uh, last year. I think he was a little bit more efficient than people give him credit for. And he was a guy that I was actively looking to get this year just because I, I do like Chris Ivory. I think he's going to have a role at the goal line, but I guess like the versatility that Yeldon has a, a little bit more. And mm-hmm. he he's someone that I think people might even be down on a bit after last week, like you said, but I'm not backing away. If anything, I'm trying to acquire that guy.
0: One player I wanted to ask you about is is a guy who's gained a ton of value over this offseason. It's Lamar Miller. Of course, he makes the move from Miami to to Houston. He starts week one with a a career high in carries, which was one of the big knocks on him, um, including by Matt and myself. We've talked about that a lot, questioning if he could – If he could carry the load, I think he had 28 carries, I think, in week one. I know he led the league in in carries. Uh, What did you see on him, and are you optimistic about his time in Houston?
2: Yeah, Lamar Miller was an interesting one because his opportunity is obviously fantastic in Houston. They are a fast-paced team. He's going to finally get the volume we've wanted to see from him. But as far as his rushing expectations sample, he – was running behind one of the worst offensive lines in the league last year. And he only performed slightly above expectation, just 2.7% in the run game. And and basically uh, right at his expectation in the passing game. But these numbers put him below average from an efficiency and success rate perspective and kind of regards what he was expected to do. And securely in the bottom half of my initial 20 players, like behind guys like Carlos Hyde, Mir Abdullah, TJ Yeldon, like we were just talking about. And I think – he was uh, in the middle percentile as far as yards before contact. And that's a stat that I weigh extremely heavily in my overall analysis that a lot of people probably don't look into. I guess I, I like backs that are elusive behind the line of scrimmage. And I think that's a little bit more predictive of elite production than yards after contact, just because I think that to break big plays, the value of a guy that, like an Amir Abdullah, that is just dynamic. Like laterally, I'd I'd rather see someone like that than like a Tevin Coleman who's got straight line speed. And I think Lamar Miller has a lot of that speed as well. And I I think he'll be very productive because his volume is obviously going to be fantastic. But from an overall talent perspective, I'm I'm not sure that he is as good as people might think.
1: I also worry he's still running behind one of the worst lines in the league.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. So. I think that we might see a little bit of that this year, but if they continue to give him the volume that he got in week one, I'm not sure it's going to matter a whole lot from his actual uh, points perspective.
0: You mentioned Tevin Coleman, Joe, and he's another guy I wanted to ask you about. You know, we heard some, I guess, some reports that there might be more of a running back by committee there in Atlanta this year, even after Freeman's big season last year. And that's pretty much what we saw in week one. Uh, Freeman had 15 touches. Coleman had 13. Uh, Coleman outgained him in total yardage by a ton. He led the team in receiving with 95 yards, I believe. So, yeah, just talk a little bit about Tevin Coleman and and your expectation for him.
2: Sure. Yeah, Tevin Coleman's not a guy I've, I've been high on, even dating back to when he was coming into the league last year. I think if he gets more carries this year, Freeman's going to remain the the primary beneficiary in the passing game still. And similarly to last year where, where Coleman saw nine or less touches, and that lack of passing game involvement for him just kind of lowers his, full, his floor overall to me. I, I guess it should be noted that Coleman played a couple snaps as wide receiver in the preseason, but we didn't really see that last week. But Shanahan tends to favor the run in the red zone, which is a huge positive, and I think his team's ranked first and seventh in red zone rushing percentage in the last two years. So Freeman was the goal back last year. And I think if Coleman can dip into that, it might help his upside a bit. But Freeman wasn't the most efficient back between the tackles either last year. And the Falcons have a brutal schedule to start the season. And I think if those inefficiencies continue from Freeman, then I could buy into the narrative that Coleman could get a few more touches. But Freeman could absolutely spend some time as more of a pass-catching, like maybe Duke Johnson type of role. I could see that happening as well. It, it, it's noteworthy, I think, that people don't talk about this as much, but I, I think it's relevant that Coleman's a higher draft pick and Freeman wasn't a part of the, the current Falcons coaching regime. I, I think that stuff matters. Oh, I think it absolutely matters. But do
1: you see Freeman then as a result being a, quote, by low? I mean, are you trying to grab him now?
2: I'm really not. I don't have a ton of Freeman shares, but if I'm going after one guy in this backfield, it, it probably is Freeman if I'm a gun to my head.
0: One other guy I wanted to ask you about uh, digging into some specific players is Melvin Gordon. So we know he struggled last year. Some people attributed that to maybe some injuries he had during his rookie year. Uh, you know, famously, was unable to score a touchdown in his rookie season. And then we see him score two. Last year, or I'm sorry, last week in the first game, so everything looked great. But if you really dig into his numbers, he he didn't have a lot of success last week beyond these these two touchdown runs. I felt like Danny Woodhead still outplayed him even as a runner. So what did what did you see on Gordon in your uh, in your study?
2: Right, yeah, Gordon was someone at least in season long that I was looking at just because his ADP was so reasonable, and I don't know if he was as bad as people. Probably I uh, think he was last year. It was nice to see him get a couple of touchdowns, but I think the fact that they drafted his college fullback will help, but this team just wants to play, like spread the offense a bit and play out of the shotgun, which Gordon is not as comfortable with. And I think Danny Woodhead's role is going to increase with Keenan Allen gone and with Melvin Gordon, I don't know. He just he 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 was behind the, statistically the NFL's second worst run blocking offensive line last year according to according to adjusted line yards and he performed above expectation by 2.7%, but those numbers aren't immaculate by any means, but it's a lump gordon's rookie season and in with inefficient backs like Lankford and Murray we were talking about earlier at, at, who were far in far better situations that that just seems kind of crazy to me, but when you actually look at and adjust for his offensive line Gordon's a lot closer to guys like Lamar Miller and Charles Sims than he is to Langford and Murray. So he's a guy that long-term, maybe if they change their philosophy a little bit, he could have some success. But I think he's really going to struggle because uh, I think that Danny Woodhead is just a much better fit.
1: Joe, this is kind of off script, but this upcoming draft class is supposed to be historically good at the running back position. And I don't, we don't need to comment on the guys coming out. But assuming that's true, who are three or four teams that you think are highly in the market for adding nets or Cook or whoever
2: they love? Yeah, that's a good question. I, the first team that comes to mind is Chicago, obviously. I think that Langford's more of a placeholder than yeah. anything else. I don't think that – even take rushing expectation completely out of it, I don't know if anyone can evaluate him as more of a committee caliber back. So I know a lot of people were excited about some things that he did in the preseason, but Chicago definitely is a team I would think about right away. Uh, Washington's another one. I oh, think that, one, yeah. I think those two teams uh, will definitely be in the market, but you never know. I think the like, Raiders, I think the Raiders are going to be high on all this too. That's a good one. I I, I like DeAndre Washington quite a bit, but he didn't really show a whole lot in week one. I'm hoping he can kind of turn things around, but that whole backfield's a little bit more muddled than we thought it would be and, Kind of the whole appeal of Latavius Murray was that he was going to get some crazy volume. But if he loses some pass catching work to DeAndre or to Washington, and then continues kind of this inefficiency, even though they did improve their offensive line and the Raiders are going to be a lot better team this year, I think that that's another really good one. I think that that could be a team that's looking looking towards next year. And that's that's a good point since their offensive line is so improved. If they do go after one of those those top talents, that could be a great situation for one of those guys to fall into.
1: Yeah, I say the Raiders because I feel like that's the last piece in their rebuilding project. You know, they have everything else. You know, Washington – there's other teams you mentioned. You could say, boy, but they really need a tackle. They really, You know, they really need other things. Where I'm not sure that the, the Raiders do. And then one dark horse is my hometown Steelers. I mean, Le'Veon Bell's a free agent. Uh, D'Angelo Williams could be gone or tired. Who knows? I mean, it wouldn't shock me if they went running back high, too.
2: That's interesting. And the the Raiders definitely like it. it could be close to as good of a situation as Ezekiel as Elliott fell exactly. into the issue with the Cowboys. So yeah. that'd be a great spot that Pittsburgh's interesting. I never really thought of that. But yeah, to say they don't pay Le'Veon Bell and then DeAndre Williams is getting up there. That could be a really good spot. Yeah, imagine if the Raiders take Leonard Fournette with the
1: fifteenth overall pick or something. I mean it will be just like, yeah, be just like Elliott, but you know, maybe even better. Yeah,
2: I agree.
0: So, Joe, I'm wondering, uh, we've we've talked about a lot of players. I think I maybe know one of your answers to this question, but in a dynasty league, you've studied these 20 running backs. If you could uh, acquire, and let's just say at market value, whatever market value might be, if you could acquire any uh, one or two of these running backs at market value, who are you targeting?
2: Yeah, I think a few guys outside of where that I've been looking at. uh, Amir Abdullah. I think his price right now has fallen. We talk we talk about the class that's coming in next. Uh, I think that running back class with him, Abdullah and Yeldon. I think those guys are pretty undervalued right now. So I'm looking to acquire uh, Abdullah. I'm looking to acquire Thomas Rawls and uh, another one, Charles Sims. And we talk about standalone value in some of these dynasty leagues where you can get someone someone late. He's got he has a role that is pretty secure in the passing game on a team that's not going to be very good. And we We've seen before that Doug Martin isn't the most durable guy. And I think I think that, uh, that Sims could, if he got the chance, he definitely has the frame for it to be uh, an every down back. And I think he could be a guy that could be a difference maker. So I'm actively trying to get him in startups and actively trying to trade for him. And then Amir Abdullah, he was one of the guys in my rushing expectation sample that stood out in yards before contact. And that was one of those stats that I found that was just really... Significant as far as their overall ability to make big plays, and I think that if he can find a way to get into space, that there's going to be more than enough room for him and Theo Riddick in that offense to be productive. We've already seen that in Week One, so I think Amir Abdullah is probably my biggest target outside of Spencer Ware and Sims, and then I'm also actively trying to get Thomas Rawls. I think that Christine Michael, the Christine Michael hype, is kind of helping us acquire him, but it's not going to. It's not going to be like that for very long because I do expect Rawls to, to take that backfield back over sooner rather than later.
1: What are you paying on Abdullah? I mean, what's a, the most you would do in future picks, say?
2: Yeah, I, I've been able to get Abdullah for kind of a complimentary piece and a 2017 second in one of my leagues, and I thought that was pretty good value. At Yeah. People are really valuing the 2017 first right now. So if I could give up a 2017 first, get Abdullah and maybe a third, that's something I'm probably looking into as well. But that's kind of the range. I don't know if I'm giving up a a, a great pick for him just because of his situation, even though I do think that both him and Riddick can be productive. I, I don't know if you really have to give up a, a 17 first for him right now.
1: And less for Sims, I would imagine, right? Yep. a little
2: bit less, not a whole lot. There are people, there's a lot of really sharp people. I know, I know you guys really like him and there there's a lot of people in the dynasty community that do value him just for kind of those reasons that I stated, but he's another guy you can acquire for, for a little bit cheaper than Abdullah just because people kind of have less invested in him.
0: So Joe, as we, as we wrap it up today, uh, just tell us what's next for rushing expectation. You, you've covered these 20 players. Are you, going to continue work with that during the season, or is that more of an off-season project for you?
2: Right now, it's probably an off-season project. I would love to sit here and spend an entire day and chart someone for in-season. I just don't know if the the time kind of commitments that I have already are going to make that possible. I, I would like to do a few during the season, but the thing about this metric that I've created is it would probably be a disservice to do it mid-season when I don't have all the data and the sample size isn't really where it needs to be. So as for right now, it's, it's probably going to be an off-season study, but there's going to be ways that I can tweak it. There's already some things I've talked about with a few people that I trust that I can kind of change or even add to some of these uh, things that I've been charting. So I'm excited about that for next season, and hopefully we can get to uh, more than 20 players. That was the goal this year. I'm glad that I hit that, but I think the bigger this sample is, the the better that kind of these overall results are going to be.
0: Yeah, seeing, uh, I think it would be interesting. I guess next off season, obviously to do more players, but also to come back to some of these these same players and you know compare both. I guess their twenty-four or their twenty-fifteen season to their twenty-sixteen, but also just how the metric is growing and changing and and becoming more. Uh, more reliable
2: yeah one thing in particular I don't mean to cut you off but um, I really want to look at players that were injured players that were kind of a little bit banged up in games because I think that really skewed my results for CJ Anderson he he was a guy that I was high on because he still performed relatively well in my project but I think that the fact that he was banged up for a lot of last year definitely hurt his efficiency so I could look into that I could look into the only player that I added a playoff game for because his sample size was so small was Spencer Ware. So I might look into expanding to playoff games as well. And I think just trying to get the right games in the sample is really important. I'm obviously taking two games of their, their best uh, PPR performance and two games of their worst, but the sample size is big. So the only games that I'm really even considering are the ones where they're touching the ball 10 times. So I think that the sample size part of it is really important and something that could kind of evolve over time.
0: All right. Well, Joe, thanks again for joining us today. And before we, we do wrap up, just tell our listeners where they can find your work.
2: Yeah, I'm doing my work this year on four for four on uh, fantasy labs and at roster coach. So you can find me on Twitter at Joe Holka. And that's uh, that's where my work's going to be this year. Spelled like Sergeant Holka. Exactly. H O L J A. That's not the first time I've heard that one. I bet. <laughs> you're, you're our big toe. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, thanks again, Joe. We'll be back next week with more Dynasty Blueprints.